The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And for those of you who are listening, have been listening to AI today, you know, one of the biggest things is we've been going through all these different series where we talk about different applications and different impacts of AI as it is happening today. That's why we are AI today. And well, we actually just recently wrapped up our very long AI glossary series. That's been going on for quite a while where we went over every single term that you really needed to know uh, and to understand what AI is all about. And if you haven't heard that series, well, I encourage you to go back and listen. But keep in mind, there is a lot of episodes in that glossary series, but we also have other series. We we did a whole series on, of course, generative AI because it is the topic of most interest in the past year, uh, where we talked about how does it work and the different applications and some of the pitfalls and some of the ways that we use it. And we even go into some fairly technical detail on how to do things like chain generative AI together and make it work with different systems. But we also have some other uh, series as well. We have our trustworthy AI series where we spend a lot of time talking about many of the issues of trustworthy AI, our failure series, very popular, reasons why AI projects fail. And actually, this is where we're going to get into now, our industry series and application series, where we look at how AI has been impacting different industries. And well, we're going to do a lot more of that uh, in the episodes coming up. So if you aren't yet subscribed, I really do encourage you to do so. Exactly. If you haven't subscribed to AI today, please do so. We have a lot of good interviews lined up and also some additional podcasts and topics that Ron had talked about. But for today's podcast, you know, we always like to talk with leaders in industry to really get a sense of what's going on there. So we're so excited to have with us Sean Liu, who is Director of Data Science and AI at Novartis. Welcome, Sean, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm quite excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited for the discussion too. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Novartis. Yeah, sure. So my name is Sean Liu. I also go by Sean. Uh, currently, I'm a director of data science and AI at Novartis. Before that, I received my PhD in information science from the University of Pittsburgh and did my postdoctoral training in bioinformatics at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. After that, I went to a small AI company in Washington, D.C., Maryland area, where I served as a principal investigator for government-sponsored projects in data mining, text mining, and biomedical applications. Um, at one time, I was wondering uh, what I really want to do for my career. Uh, you know, I have uh, uh, data science on one hand and uh, medicine on the other but they are not happening uh, together in an integrated environment. So I figured I really want to do data science in life sciences industry. And uh, coincidentally, I got an opportunity to join Eli Lilly and company uh, to work in their research IT and informatics department. Um, At that time, uh, data mining, text mining, bioinformatics, cheminformatics, big data were common in day-to-day work. Uh, but the term of AI uh, was uh, re- uh, less frequently used. And then uh, suddenly, uh, 
2017 and 2018 time, uh, we see a wave of AI. And every company is trying to catch up. And uh, Lily uh, set up an enterprise uh, data science center. Uh, I was put there to uh, do uh, AI uh, research. So that's where I started to look uh, uh, further into the deep learning and the general AI uh, research in pharma. And later on, I uh, moved to Novartis because I see more opportunities in AI and also the opportunity of working in Cambridge, Boston area, uh, which is a hub of uh, life sciences. Uh, so my current role is leading AI projects to demonstrate its value in pharmaceutical R&D. Uh, I have been working on clinical trials, real-world evidence, and now also onto early discovery projects such as uh, target identification and also a mechanism of action for new therapies. Yeah, this is really, really interesting. It's kind of funny because you, you have a bit of the reverse migration path that I did because I started up in Cambridge. <laughs> I went to school <laughs> up there, uh, Kendall Square of all places where Novartis yeah. is. And I moved down to Maryland, which is actually where Kathleen and I are based in the DC region. And my wife teaches at Hopkins. So it's kind of a bit of the uh, the opposite pull, but it makes a lot of sense. Actually, everything you're talking about makes makes quite a bit of sense because another thing that as, as we're going to start digging deeper and deeper in our series into AI as applied specifically to pharma, we'll spend some good time. There's a huge overlap in data and informatics and analytics uh, in the in the bio world as a whole, but in particular in pharma, because you're trying to discover uh, new treatments and we're trying to discover targets and molecules, but we're also trying to do clinical tests and data. So there's lots of data here, and I think it's fantastic. I think this might be one of the main reasons why AI in particular is such an application here. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about it. You talked, uh, you hinted about some of the applications, but you know, what do you see as you know some of the most compelling current and possibly even future applications of uh, AI in the pharma space? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, in order to talk, uh, to talk about uh, AI in pharma, I would like to start with the uh, pharmaceutical R&D process. Uh, so, you know, uh, the pharma uh, R&D is very lengthy and costly process. And it has been estimated that it takes around a decade and uh, over a billion dollars to uh, launch a new medicine. And... Uh, um, yeah, so in this kind of scenario, and uh, then people have been started thinking, how can we improve the uh, the overall efficiency and success rate? And uh, if we think about uh, from AI's uh, perspective, uh, I like to uh, highlight uh, three uh, core areas, uh, which is including the uh, early biology discovery, uh, then the uh, molecule design and chemistry, and then clinical trials. So uh, let me uh, give some examples uh, for each of those uh, major components. Uh, for early discovery uh, in biology, I see a quite exciting uh, mo uh, moment of applying large language models and uh, foundation models in early biology discovery. Uh, so we all uh, saw a wave of uh, large language models and chat GPT uh, since the end of last year. Uh, but in, interestingly, uh, this year, I saw a wave of applying uh, those models in directly on biological data. So the uh, intuition is quite uh, natural. So, uh, you know, the uh, words together, they make the meaning of a uh, document. And then uh, the cells, how they inter uh, uh, interact with each other tells biology. And again, uh, within the uh, cells, how uh, genes interact with each other makes the meaning 
uh, the biological meaning of, of cells. So uh, the academic people have already uh, paved the path to applying those uh, large language models, foundation models on top of uh, biological data, uh, especially uh, single cell RNA-seq data or other kind of uh, single cell uh, omics. So now with this kind of uh, chat, uh, chat GPT-like uh, uh, biological models, now you are able to encode uh, the genes and the cells uh, in a latent space. And from the latent state, uh, space, you can make uh, annotations about the functions of those uh, genes and uh, cells. So this gives the uh, researchers additional computational tools to do a lot of uh, in silico experiments. And uh, uh, it, it is still uh, ongoing uh, in the early stage, uh, but I think uh, this will, will be a, a big trend uh, in the coming years. So now uh, when it goes to the uh, chemistry, uh, you know, uh, generative AI uh, plays uh, a, a role in providing alternative uh, methods to discover uh, molecules. Uh, traditionally, uh, researchers, they have to do high throughput uh, screening uh, to find heats and then going uh, from heats to lead, uh, lead optimization and then to the uh, drug candidates. Uh, but with those uh, generative AI methods uh, like uh, the variational autoencoders, uh, you are able to design new molecules. So uh, in this sense, uh, it has potential uh, to reduce the amount of the uh, screening task uh, uh, that researchers will do uh, because you could uh, specify the desired uh, molecules uh, with a, a certain kind of properties and then design that. Uh, so in, in this sense, uh, it, it provides an alternative way to uh, improve uh, productivity. And when it goes to uh, clinical trials, uh, there's a lot of AI methods uh, on how to uh, improving the uh, protocol writing, uh, how to do uh, clinical site selection, and also uh, patient enrollment. Uh, and additionally, uh, real-world data is now being applied in clinical trials uh, to generate uh, uh, external control arms. Uh, so in this sense, uh, we can not only uh, uh, more efficiently uh, recruit patients, but also reduce the uh, patients on the uh, control arms. So that way, um, it will uh, uh, improve the uh, clinical operations and also uh, reduce uh, the number of patients uh, uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the arms and uh, uh, still maintain the uh, statistical uh, significance. Uh, so those are uh, examples I see are quite uh, promising that's already happening in the uh, AI in pharma space. Uh, I believe there will be more uh, interesting applications coming. Yeah, you know, it's always so exciting, right? Because you can see what's being done and then there's so many different applications that could possibly be. It's always nice to look at under other industries as well and see what they're doing and maybe how that can even be applied because sometimes there's, you know, a lot more that... Uh, industry share than people think. So from your perspective, uh, you know, we know that pharma, pharmaceuticals, it is a highly regulated industry. So how do you balance innovation and compliance while also implementing AI solutions in pharmaceuticals? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. Uh, as you mentioned, the pharma is a highly regulated uh, industry. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, fundamental issues like uh, confidentiality, uh, security, privacy, uh, data governance. Uh, fortunately, uh, there are already uh, policies and uh, standards uh, regarding those issues. So uh, we just need to comply uh, with them uh, when we conduct uh, research. Uh, for example, uh, if you want to access uh, patient data, you uh, have to 
uh, take training, get approval, and go to dedicated server to do the analysis. You cannot simply download the patient information to your local computers, uh, computers and do analysis. Uh, as another example, if you want to uh, use uh, ChatGPT for your research, you cannot just send data to the OpenAI APIs uh, because there could be data leakage. So again, we have to uh, get approval from the committee and do things uh, correctly. Uh, also at uh, FDA level, there are regulations about uh, how AI ML should be done in pharma. So uh, for example, uh, if we use AI ML in medical devices, so uh, there's the FDA guidance on how we should do that. Uh, it's a very comprehensive framework uh, with different focus areas, uh, such as uh, good uh, machine learning practice and uh, uh, real world performance, uh, et cetera. So we have to follow this guidance uh, when we do relate to the research. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, data privacy and data, all these issues you mentioned are incredibly important, not only in regulated industries, but I even encourage those who are in less regulated industries to really think very carefully about the information that they're uploading to uh, online, you know, GPTs like OpenAI. Even even in our case, we've been we've been uh, when we're using GPT for our purposes, we're starting to be more aware of that. Also, the issue of just in general the GPT systems acting a little unpredictably sometimes between uh, model iterations. It's kind of making us think a lot more about open source LLMs and self hosting. And I'm sure every a lot of people are thinking about that right now, if not already doing that. So um, sort of brings up sort of a related idea here. And this is, again, uh, from your perspective and from your views, you know, how do you see organizations like Novartis staying at the front forefront of AI advancements? Because things are changing very quickly. I, every week, I, I swear, I look and there's like some new uh, foundation model available with some billions or trillions or whatever of of parameters. And uh, you have to like, it's it's almost like this constant, you know, effort to stay up to date, but also just in general with best practices, what your peers are doing um, to ensure that your strategies can remain agile and adaptive. And of course, responding to, to your needs. Yes, uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, as you mentioned, AIML is uh, rapidly uh, advancing. So uh, big organizations, you know, there are many different uh, teams. So uh, different groups do things differently uh, based on their business needs and uh, uh, priorities. Uh, for me, my focus is uh, AI internal research, uh, where I collaborate with internal teams to build AI models to advance the drug discovery and development. So uh, in this scenario, I thought about a strategy, I call it uh, ABC strategy. Uh, so here, A is the AI research itself, B is the bandwidth, and C is collaboration. Uh, so let me elaborate. So uh, AI research, as you mentioned, is advancing every day, right? Now, uh, everybody talk about uh, large language models, um, foundation models. So um, so in these scenarios, uh, there's uh, many, uh, you know, we have to first uh, catch up with what's happening in, uh, in the field and uh, uh, really uh, uh, try to get the uh, latest and uh, greatest technologies uh, in-house. Uh, so uh, for example, um, now uh, those uh, 
large language models that are already published uh, in the public domain. So then how do we apply those in the uh, biological uh, or chemical uh, space? So, um, so we usually start with uh, those kind of uh, zero shot learning. So for example, we directly take these models and apply to our data to see how that works. If it's not that uh, working great, then we have to use some uh, additional uh, customized data sets to uh, fine tuning the, uh, the models so that its performance can be uh, acceptable. Um, so, uh, so those kind of uh, uh, research uh, requires, uh, you know, not uh, individuals, but uh, uh, you know, a group of researchers, uh, uh, communities, right? And and, and inside uh, uh, the larger organizations, there's always, uh, you know, AI a community of practi uh, practitioners. Uh, there are forums and also uh, there are uh, demos, there are exchange of ideas, all kinds of ways you can uh, learn from each other uh, to keep up, uh, up to date it. Um, so, so in that sense, uh, we have uh, quite a good mechanism uh, to, you know, keep up with what's the latest uh, in AI research and how to apply it. And uh, to me, essentially, uh, AI research boils down to uh, three components. Uh, that's data, algorithms, and the platforms, right? So the data, usually uh, we have a lot of uh, rich data sets in-house and also from the public domain. Uh, the algorithms nowadays, people use a lot about uh, those transformer-based uh, foundation models and they are public and uh, we could uh, you know, directly apply. Uh, platforms, uh, there's uh, always uh, IT infrastructure uh, there. So, so in this sense, uh, we are quite uh, equipped to do uh, uh, you know, research based on our needs. And then when it comes to the B, the bandwidth, uh, I mean, the uh, every teams, uh, every individuals, they have limited time and energy. Uh, we should know our bandwidth and how to pri prioritize our business, uh, uh, you know, priorities uh, and the most important things. So once we figure out that uh, in a, a resource, a time-constrained environment, uh, we will quickly uh, know how uh, what kind of uh, AI research or modeling work we should uh, target first. So that's the kind of the uh, bandwidth part. And then uh, the C, uh, that's what I really like, uh, is about uh, collaboration. So, you know, um, in order to make those AI uh, models uh, make sense in the uh, biological chemical world, uh, we have to work with those domain experts who know the data from the beginning. They, they probably are experimentalists who generate those data, right? So we have to work with them uh, using these data to either fine tuning or training um, prediction models. And once those models are in the uh, evaluation phase, we have to work again, work with those domain experts to help uh, validate uh, whether this makes sense, uh, you know, how trustworthy the prediction results are. Uh, so in this sense, we need a lot of collaboration with internal uh, domain experts. And also we need a collaborations with uh, other uh, different uh, AI uh, data science teams, of course, uh, and also we uh, on a regular basis attract talents uh, from the uh, recent graduates, uh, those uh, people with uh, fresh minds, they, they, they are onto those uh, latest models uh, during their uh, PhD or master uh, work, right? So, so we got a talent pool and a mechanism uh, to do this kind of collaboration. Um, and also, uh, interestingly, uh, several years ago, uh, I wrote an article about uh, the innovation ecosystem uh, in pharma. So we uh, analyzed uh, a decade of FDA-approved uh, new molecules and uh, tried to identify the original research. And what we found uh, is that uh, the majority of original research behind FDA-approved uh, medicines uh, 
is not actually from a uh, big farmer, but uh, mainly from the academ uh, academia, uh, medical institutions, and sometimes uh, biotech companies. So, uh, so in so we concluded that uh, in that paper that uh, uh, an innovation ecosystem uh, which involves all kinds of players uh, can help uh, contribute to new medicine development and bring the. Uh, innovation to patients faster. So I envision uh, the same uh, uh, thing could happen in the uh, AI research. Uh, we need an innovation ecosystems uh, in AI, uh, biomedical AI research. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, and it's interesting too to hear how all of this is going on. Um, for our listeners, they know that we are big advocates of CPMAI methodology, where um, it really helps you. It's a methodology, and we also provide a training and certification for it as well, which goes through different phases of an AI project to give you a repeatable, you know, step by step approach to um, making sure that you have AI projects that are run successfully because there's a really big failure rate. We have also done, um, in addition to all of the other podcast series Ron had talked about, we had an AI failure series, which was a really popular series because we talk about common reasons why AI projects fail and then how to avoid that. So for our listeners that are interested in learning more about CPMAI, I'll link to our different courses in the show notes. We have CPMAI, CPMAI Plus that goes into RPA and big data fundamentals. And then we have CPMAI Plus E that goes into all of that. CPMAI Plus the big data and RPA, as well as ethical and trustworthy AI. We also have a free intro course at aitoday.live slash CPMAI. And I'll link to that as well in case our listeners are interested in that. One thing that's important to note is that with technology, there's a lot of benefits, but there also can be some challenges that we have with technology. And we really need to make sure that we're measuring both sides so that we get, you know, we're not just moving forward blindly saying, oh, look at this, look at this shiny new object. What can I do with it? Especially in highly regulated industries, there can be some unique challenges that you face. So when looking at, at AI projects and going through them, what have been some of the challenges that you face when it comes to AI adoption, especially in highly regulated industries such as pharma? You're on mute. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great question. So uh, I envision three kind of uh, challenges, uh, including the AI performance and also the uh, AI validation and uh, the uh, the concerns for adoption. So uh, let me go through uh, each of them. So for AI performance, you know, um, nowadays we are all over overwhelmed by all kinds of uh, AI technologies. So um, and people got a really, really high hope for uh, all kinds of uh, AI. Uh, they are going to change our life, et cetera. So there is a big assumption that uh, AI uh, methods are working as expected. Uh, most people, many people, uh, if they are not do hands-on, they may, might assume that AI is working 100%, but the reality is not. So uh, in our uh, scenario, uh, for example, a long time ago, we started doing the uh, natural language processing uh, of literature, try to extract information uh, information about the gene disease, uh, targets, uh, relationships, etc. So that way we can build a, a huge, gigantic uh, knowledge graph so that people can do you know, all kinds of discoveries on those uh, big graph. 
So uh, it's similarly uh, very nice, but uh, when we uh, shift this kind of uh, prototypes to uh, the hands of uh, scientists, uh, they will uh, check the validity, uh, they will do sanity check, they will look at each node and links to see uh, if they make sense, and uh, they need to find the uh, the source where those uh, you know uh, entities links coming from. So uh, shockingly, uh, they find a lot of noise uh, about uh, some uh, entities and links. We tried so many um, methods, uh, customization at the time, but still couldn't uh, boost the performance to a very perfect uh, 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 scenario. So in this way, uh, I would say a lot of researchers, they are curious, they are very open-minded, they want to use AI methods, but uh, you simply there's a performance as a gap, it's not a 100%. I think we should at least push the, uh, you know, those kind of performance up to, you know, 90% uh, uh, above, then uh, people pr probably will uh, more seriously look into those tools and uh, facilitate their discoveries. Uh, and then the second is about the uh, validation, you know, uh, AI models, they can make predictions. So for example, you ask AI to uh, write a bunch of sentence or, 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 or do uh, image recognition. So it can uh, immediately know whether this uh, prediction uh, makes sense or not. But in the uh, research domain, uh, that's not the case. Uh, for example, uh, if AI predicts the function of a gene, uh, if there's no experimental uh, evidence, uh, there's always uh, certainty, there's always question mark, right? So it's a quite a big challenge then. How do we trustworthy those uh, uh, AI models in a kind of uh, uh, research uh, scenario? And then uh, finally, when it goes to adoption, there are all kinds of concerns, uh, risk concerns, uh, ethics concerns, uh, governance concerns, and also, you know, um, there's all kinds of uh, reasons, and sometimes even uh, the fear that uh, AI will replace humans, uh, you know, those kind of concerns will uh, impact how those models are being uh, adopted. So, yeah, so those are the fundamental, que uh, fundamental questions we have to uh, think about and uh, address. Yeah, uh, th these these all these issues come up constantly <laughs> in all of our conversations, quality issues, sanity checking issues, validity issues. Like, and of course, all these fears and concerns, as you mentioned, both the fears of AI, you know, the super intelligence or to replace my job or any of the other things that people are just afraid of, which, you know, it's hard to people are afraid of things. You can't tell them not to be afraid of these things. And at the same time, we talk about concerns that are legitimate concerns, like issues of bad people doing bad things. We have access control issues and things like that. So some of those things we can control, but some of the things we can't control. So it's but at the same time, this is a transformative technology and a very powerful one at that because we're making this increasing use of data, which we have so much of. <laughs> and machines are just really good at finding patterns, which is, at the end of the day, really what a lot of this boils down to is uh, some very fancy and complicated big data-powered pattern matching, but can result in a lot of things. And you might say, well, that's what language is. Language is our patterns. And our brains are recognizing them and translating them into meaning. And so therefore machines can do that too. Same thing with the things your retina is doing isn't, you know, patterns, you know. So uh, so there's a lot of power and potential there. Of course, we have the benefit of billions of years of evolution and machines, uh, well, we haven't gotten there quite yet. So uh, I guess, you know, on that thing, you know, maybe looking ahead a little bit here, if we can, and uh, maybe some of the areas that are still under potential development discussion even, you know, where do you see some of these promising opportunities for AI in the pharma and maybe related, you know, healthcare life sciences areas in the next, if you can, as much as anybody can look out the next, you know, a uh, bunch of years. 
Yeah, I love this question. Uh, so uh, in my view, uh, I, I think uh, the uh, AI models will becoming uh, more robust over time. Uh, for example, uh, when we uh, train those large language models, we are taking all the data, publicly available data available. Uh, for example, in a biological domain, uh, we take all the, uh, the human cells from human cell atlas, all kinds of uh, cells, uh, genes. So uh, as I envision more experimental data becoming uh, available, so uh, these are all fit into those large language models, uh, those uh, foundation models. So these models will be able to generalize things uh, much better. So we can think about using uh, prompts to unlock the, uh, you know, the expertise already learned by these models uh, using fine, uh, fine tuning techniques to un uh, unlock the power. So, uh, so I definitely think uh, those uh, models will become ro uh, more robust and their performance uh, will significantly uh, improve. So in that sense, uh, people uh, will, uh, you know, have widespread uh, adoption of those uh, models. And secondly, uh, I see uh, the uh, model pipelines or kind of platforms uh, to chain all kinds of models together. So for example, in the pharma space, we have early discovery and molecule design and then go to trials, patients, et cetera. So uh, wouldn't it be nice if we are able to have, uh, to have a platform to uh, connect dots, uh, all, uh, you know, among all those uh, uh, robust uh, fundamental models? If we could do that, that uh, will, will be a game changer, that will greatly uh, improve the efficiency. Uh, so nowadays, there are already uh, uh, AI companies are starting doing that, and uh, uh, farmers in-house, we are also building these pipelines. Uh, but I think as uh, we uh, progress, uh, we got better models. We uh, got figure out better, you know, uh, the workflows. I think those uh, platforms will uh, become more powerful. Um, so in the end, no matter what kind of pipelines uh, we develop, I think they have to adapt to the core value of uh, healthcare and pharma, uh, which is uh, serving the patients uh, we have. So no, no matter what models or pipelines we adopt, we have to always, uh, you know, uh, keep this in mind. So that's uh, definitely, uh, you know, the core value. Uh, and uh, additionally, uh, I I, uh, I think uh, those, uh, uh, you know, AI is kind of uh, wide uh, uh, spreading. So I think uh, there uh, must be some uh, additional regulational, uh, uh, you know, rules, uh, guidance uh, we are coming, especially in the health care domain. So, uh, yeah, so these are the things I envision that will happening in the near future. Yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question because I feel like five to 10 years in the AI space is like maybe 20 or 30 years in any other technology. And things are changing so rapidly, especially now that even to predict a year from now can be quite challenging because things are just progressing so fast. And you're right, we have seen widespread adoption. We've been doing AI Today podcast since 2017. And yes, obviously, AI was a thing back then. People were using it. But you know, it's been about a year now that ChatGPT has been out and people have been able to use large language models. And that's changed the game because that's put AI in the hands of many, where before it wasn't, even if we were using the technology for things like, you know, driving or other applications with grammar and emails, it's really put it in the hands of many. And so it's been such a game changer. 
We always like to end our podcast with the final question because no matter how many times we ask, we always get different responses. Some people take a very philosophical view. Some people take a practical view or a personal view. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Yeah, I think AI adoption is a must. You know, so as you can see, uh, we always need the power of AI. So uh, I, I think uh, even companies are not in the, uh, you know, high-tech AI uh, domain or healthcare domain. Uh, I mean, every industry should uh, adopt that. That's a uh, uh, that's, uh, trend. And secondly, I think the key here is to, hire, uh, to have the right execution plan. Uh, if we could have uh, the right execution plan dedicated to our business needs, and uh, there will be... Uh, a lot of fruits, uh, either high, uh, low hanging fruits or high hanging fruits, uh, they will be there. Um, and lastly, uh, I like to uh, highlight uh, AI for social good. Uh, so you, we all know AI is very powerful, and uh, e uh, whether uh, it's in day to day life or in uh, research, uh, we all feel its power, right? So uh, as intelligent tool, AI could do, uh, you know, can be used for good or for bad, you know. So there must be regulations to make sure we are on the right track and uh, uh, make sure that uh, we uh, do trustworthy and uh, uh, ethical AI, right? And, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, previously we were talking about democratizing AI, but just as you mentioned, you know, now everybody is participating in uh, AI in, uh, in, in some sense. So uh, every organizations and uh, individuals have the opportunity to participate and contribute. Um, so uh, in the end, I think AI uh, should do uh, things uh, to make our lives better, uh, but not the opposite. That we talk about that a lot at all, all the time, you know, mainly that, you know, uh, you know, these transformative technologies have uh, both positive use and potentially, you know, uh, potential harms as well. And uh, with all new technologies that that have such power, uh, you know, putting you want to get them into the hands of as many people as possible to provide as much value. But at the same time, you want to limit that. Uh, there was this kind of a, if you think about it many, many years ago, back when nuclear power was just becoming, you know, a thing. There was a time when we thought everything was going to be nuclear powered. It's kind of funny when you go back and you look at ideas like nuclear powered refrigerators or whatever. You're like, hmm, maybe a little too uh, optimistic, you know, enthusiastic about that technology. Maybe one day in the future. But here now, everything is becoming AI powered. It's kind of funny. It's, a, it's a, in the same vein. The difference, of course, is that AI technology is easily implementable and perhaps, perhaps not as dangerous as nuclear power. Perhaps I say that uh, with, with some italics there, because you never know in the hands of the wrong people, it could really do some harm. So uh, you know, for our listeners, we know that we, we have been spending a lot of time just on these trustworthy issues. We do have a whole podcast series, but we also have a training and certification, which is based on a framework that was developed uh, uh, over the past few years, which combines one of these multinational frameworks that addresses all these different layers of uh, trustworthy AI, because there are layers. You know, some of these are more sort of ethical concerns around do no harm and making sure machines don't cause emotional, physical, financial, or whatever kinds of harms. But then we have all this responsible use of AI and things like, you know, fakes and, and all that sort of stuff. And then we have governance, we have transparency, we have explainability. These are all different layers of this. And we talk about it quite a, a bit. As you know, as all of our listeners know, we always have free course. So 
go to uh, courses.cognolitica.com or cpma uh, aitoday.live slash trustworthy, something like that. And that'll take you to our free intro to Trustworthy AI course, and you can learn all that. But anyway, we can go on for a long time. So, Sean, I just want to thank you so much for participating, sharing your fabulous insights. And uh, yeah, we'd love to keep digging deeper and deeper into all these great areas in which AI is transforming the, the pharma industry. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure uh, to have the conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. We really enjoyed today's podcasts and uh, the conversation. Listeners, if you've enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't done so already so that you can get up uh you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. As I had mentioned earlier, we have some great interviews lined up as well as some additional content that we will be discussing. Also, if you're interested in any of the free courses or the paid courses and the certifications that we talked about, I will link to those in the show notes, the CPMAI certification, our free intro course, and also our trustworthy AI course and certification. I definitely encourage you to check that out. I know that many of our listeners are CPMAI certified, and so you will be in good company with our global audience of CPMAI certified folks. And if you have not done so already, we would love if you could rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, reach out to us. We love to hear from our listeners. You'd let us know what episodes you enjoy, additional topics that you'd like us to dig into. And we help, you know, that helps us cater our content because this is AI today. So we want to talk about relevant things that are happening with AI today. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>